stay up to date and engage with the financial world. You're listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. A couple weeks ago, we made an update video about the China Evergrande crisis. The main conclusion was that the government managed to contain the problem, and China is not a serious risk of a financial crisis. But since then, there have been a few recent developments, which make the situation a bit more complicated, and China may not be out of the woods just yet. Firstly, four rural banks with over $6 billion in deposits froze customer withdrawals. Thousands of customers had their life savings locked up in these banks, and this has led to protests on the streets. Separately, thousands of homeowners across the country are engaging in a so-called mortgage boycott, refusing to make their mortgage payments. They took out mortgages to buy apartments still under construction. Liquidity problems have forced many of these developers to delay completion of these apartments. This puts homeowners in the untenable position of making monthly payments for an unfinished property they cannot live in and may not be livable for many months or even years. These two issues are raising questions about China's $56 trillion banking industry, which is the biggest in the world by far. Starting this May, people across China opened up their mobile banking apps to withdraw their deposits, but to their great shock, their withdrawal requests were declined. This happened at four small banks in rural areas of Hunan province. These banks advertised above-market interest rates to attract hundreds of thousands of depositors from all over China. This led to outrage among the depositors, many of whom had now lost access to their life savings. They even went to government buildings to protest, but the People's Bank of China said the lost money was not protected by deposit insurance. So what happened? As it turns out, all four of the banks involved used the same technology platform and were controlled by one major shareholder. A shady businessman from the local area by the name of Liu Yi formed an investment company which bought stakes in these four rural banks. He allegedly colluded with the managers to implement perhaps one of the most brazen and sophisticated bank heists in modern history. They tweaked the back end of the bank's technology platform to siphon away billions of dollars in customer funds and divert them to entities controlled by Liu. Here's how it worked. A person would create an account and deposit money into it. The customer saw a deposit agreement show up in the account equal to the amount of money that they deposited, so everything looked fine. But there was no money backing up this deposit, as it was put into a separate account controlled by Liu and his associates. When customers went to withdraw their money, the withdrawal request was denied because there was no money. Understandably, the customers were angry. When you deposit money into a bank, you don't expect it to randomly disappear overnight. In the event that the commercial bank goes bankrupt or the money is stolen, almost every country has deposit insurance, whereby depositors will get compensation from the government. In the U.S., this is handled by the FDIC, which protects individual depositors up to $250,000. China has an equivalent system that protects deposits up to 500,000 yuan, or roughly $75,000. So everything's fine, right? The vast majority of the customer accounts were less than 500,000 yuan, so they should get compensated, and that's that. Unfortunately, there's a problem. The money technically never entered the bank account. When you deposit money into a commercial bank, the commercial bank registers this with the central bank, in this case the People's Bank of China. The central bank acts like a bank's bank. They keep track of how many deposits there are. The rural banks never register these as deposits, so they are not protected by the insurance. The banks marketed to customers as if they were regular bank accounts, and the vast majority of the people who deposited money probably assumed they were. But it doesn't matter what they thought. Many people invested their life savings into these banks. This is because they marketed higher interest rates than others. Now they are financially ruined. 
to add insult to injury, many depositors thought that they would protect themselves by depositing at three or four different banks. So they chose the four banks with the highest interest rates. They would later find out that all four of those banks were part of the same network of fraud. This led to large-scale protests in front of the bank branches and government buildings. Customers were enraged to hear the regulators say that their money was not protected. It is believed that Liu Yi, the alleged mastermind behind the scam, has already left the country, taking about $5 billion worth of his stolen money with him. He has likely been planning his escape for a long time, as he has already secured a Cyprus citizenship beforehand. By this point, he's probably changed his name, is enjoying his ill-gotten gains on some tropical island. The chances of recovering the money are slim to none. In July, the government decided to bite the bullet and announced plans to compensate the depositors up to 100,000 yuan, or about $15,000. This is only one-fifth of the deposit insurance level, but it will be enough to repay the vast majority of depositors in full. And you have to give the Chinese government credit. The American government hasn't announced any plans to bail out the millions of investors wiped out by Celsius and other alleged crypto scams. But this rural banking scam isn't the only potential crisis looming over the Chinese financial system. Last year, when the giant property developer Evergrande went bankrupt, they didn't have the cash to finish many of their construction projects. This was a big problem because many of these apartments were already paid for by homebuyers. To make matters even worse, many of these homebuyers took out mortgages to pay for these homes. This puts them in the untenable position of making mortgage payments on an incomplete apartment while still having to pay rent for their current residence. Given this, thousands of homeowners have started so-called mortgage boycotts, whereby they refuse to make their mortgage payments. It started with one delayed Evergrande development in the city of Zhangdezhen. The movement spread across social media, and now homebuyers are boycotting their mortgages at hundreds of stalled developments in over 90 cities across the country. This is eerily similar to what happened in the US in 2008. The median home price fell by 20%. In many hot markets like Florida, prices fell by far more. Many recent homeowners who bought at the peak of the bubble were better off defaulting on their mortgages and letting the banks repossess their homes. This was preferable to making inflated mortgage payments over the next 30 years. This caused a wave of defaults, ultimately leading to the global financial crisis. So is something similar about to happen in China? Probably not. The vast majority of mortgages relate to homes that are already finished. The total value of mortgages related to the delayed construction projects is about 400 billion yuan, or 60 billion dollars. This is 5% of the 8 trillion dollars of mortgages outstanding in China. Even if all of them default, that alone wouldn't be enough to cause a financial crisis. What's perhaps more concerning is a collapse of new home sales. As contagion spreads and an ever-increasing number of developers face financial distress, prospective homebuyers are understandably hesitant to put their down payments on the line for apartments that may or may not ever be completed. Of the 10 largest publicly traded Chinese real estate developers, their new home sales have fallen by 50% in the first quarter of 2022 compared to the same period last year. To be fair, the average is driven down by the China Ao Yen Group, whose sales are down 90% and they were recently declared to be in technical default. But either way, the situation is getting pretty bad. Chinese banks have loaned about $2 trillion to real estate developers, which represents 4% of total banking assets. While this isn't a huge amount, it is not evenly distributed amongst the banks. If the wave of defaults continues, some banks will certainly come under severe strain. So what is the government doing about this? They readied a $144 billion bailout fund to shore up the property market. The People's Bank of China will initially loan about $30 billion to state-run commercial banks at below market interest rates. Under the existing fractional reserve framework, the commercial banks can effectively leverage this money five times to $144 billion. 
The commercial banks will use this money to buy incomplete projects from developers and fund the construction to completion. The commercial banks need to pay the People's Bank of China back for these loans, so the projects they buy must be profitable. But remember that many of these projects have been sitting abandoned for months and have thus fallen into disrepair. The cost to finish the construction may be greater than the value of the completed property. This will especially be true in smaller cities and rural areas where the land is cheap. The biggest risk is that the large state-owned commercial banks are massively increasing their exposure to the real estate market. If real estate prices fall dramatically, they'll take huge losses on these construction loans. Thus far, the crisis has only affected real estate developers and projects under construction. As of the first quarter, average real estate prices have only fallen by 3% from their all-time highs. People are still willing to pay up for apartments that have already been completed. As long as this remains the case, the country should be able to avert a financial crisis. And on the bright side, the banking sector will go into any potential crisis from a strong position. The percentage of non-performing loans on bank balance sheets has declined from almost 2% in the third quarter of 2020 to 1.7% today. For now, the Chinese economy remains stable. But the US economy also looks stable in 2007. So make sure to subscribe to the channel as we'll continue to post videos covering China's economic situation. You've been listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. Don't miss a minute wherever you go. Wall Street Millennial, signing out.